You are listening to Kubernetes Bytes, a podcast bringing you the latest from the world of cloud-native data management. My name is Ryan Walner, and I'm joined by Bobin Shaw, coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. We'll be sharing our thoughts on recent cloud-native news and talking to industry experts about their experiences and challenges managing the wealth of data in today's cloud-native ecosystem. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening wherever you are. We're coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. Today is January 19th. 2022. I hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. Let's dive into it. Bob, and how have you been? I'm doing good, Ryan. Uh, we had a long weekend this weekend, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Uh, I made a lot of plans, but I didn't do anything. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So I found out that on MLK Day, uh, all the local museums, mm. the art museums and Science museums in Boston have free entries, even the zoo. Oh, nice. Yeah, I didn't know I, that. And I was like, yes, that's what I'm going to do on Monday. But then the weekend, I basically spent watching the NFL Super Wildcard weekend. And yeah. then Monday, it was too cold. I was like, yeah, I'm not doing anything out, outdoors. So I just stayed in and enjoyed uh, a, a good break. Yeah. Did you happen to watch how the New England Patriots forgot to play football. <laughs> yeah, they were not the only team who forgot. Like Arizona Cardinals, Dallas Cowboys don't understand how to manage time. So yeah, it was it was a, a fun weekend. <laughs> oh, did you see the Bengals game at all? Uh, I did. So uh, did you see the drone that flew into the stadium? Oh, no, I missed that. So a Mavic 2. I know we talked about this before because you, you had bought one a while back for mm-hmm. Hawaii, right? Um, but uh, there's TFRs, like no flight restrictions uh, when, you know, an hour before games, an hour after, and you're not allowed to fly in there. <laughs> okay. One one just flew into the stadium and like dropped down right into the, like, oh, wow. Quite literally, <laughs> look it up on YouTube. It just look up uh, Cincinnati Bengals Mavic 2, and this guy just flies around. <laughs> uh, totally illegal um, in, in like several different ways. He, the, the, he probably doesn't care or doesn't know. I don't know. I can't speak for him, but I was just like, you know, holy moly. It's just right there on the field, like 30 feet above the players. Wow. <laughs> uh, okay. Could I be a, a $20,000 fine, basically. <laughs> but we'll see what happens. Uh, I was, I caught that. And I was like, what is, oh, look at that. Okay. <laughs> How about you? What were you up to? Yeah, I visited family. Uh, we didn't get to go see family for the holidays. Uh, because of Omicron. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we delayed it till this past weekend and used the extended weekend to uh, to basically stay down there a little bit longer. Although we had to come back because of the storm. Um, although, like, you know, visiting any of those uh, places in Boston probably would have been not so great because it was terrible weather out. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was fun. We got to see a lot of family and catch up, which is always a blessing these days, I feel like. Um, and we are back to work and there's a lot going on in the industry. I know last episode we had a little bit of a light news week. We have more news to talk about. Why don't you kick it off? Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. 
Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, if if you were still paying attention around the Christmas timeframe, uh, everybody was talking about Log4j and the vulnerability, the day zero vulnerability that was introduced or announced and how everybody was trying to catch up. Now I think we are uh, past the point where it, it was like the, the biggest thing. So uh, one of the blogs that I follow, Aqua Security, they have a, new, a nice recap blog or an overview blog of what was in, what was the vulnerability, how it affected, like it was a critical day zero vulnerability uh, that was released. Everybody panicked. There were quick fixes, but with every fix and more testing, they found uh, some new vulnerabilities with varying severity levels. And basically, I think now they have a patch uh, that can be applied, which doesn't have any sevens or nines or 10 level uh, on, on the severity level rating. So that's a good blog if you want to catch up. Like if you were living under a rock and didn't pay attention to Log4j, uh, this is a good recap to bring you up to speed and understand some of those memes that are going out there. <laughs> Uh, next i think uh, this is uh, i I think as a follow-up to the kubernetes 1.23 release right Uh, ipv6 support was introduced Uh, amazon eks is just following the release cycle and now they have introduced ipv6 support for your eks clusters so it will use the same vpc cni kubernetes plugin in your clusters and you can uh, you can configure your EKS clusters to either use IPv4 or IPv6, but not both at the same time. Uh, the only caveat is you if you already have an EKS cluster and you want to start using IPv6, you can't do that. You'll have to start by creating a new cluster uh, and choosing IPv6 as your networking mode. So just keep that in mind. We will have link to the uh, announcement blog post, which has all those gotchas in place. But yeah, those were like the two things that I wanted to discuss today. Great pieces of news. Great pieces of news. I will start off with uh, the GigaOM Data Protection Report version 2. So uh, for those of you who have seen the GigaOM reports for Kubernetes storage and Kubernetes data protection, this is version 2 of the Kubernetes Data Protection Report, um, which really focuses on um, the backup and restore capabilities, migration, disaster recovery capabilities of various vendors in the market. Uh, we'll really summarize these market categories, look at the key criteria, give you a comparison. Um, the GigaOM radar is sort of a radar depicted of, of uh, which you know players in the market are platform innovations, fast movers. It's really a valuable report. Version two is out there and um, we will link to it in the show. You do need to be a subscriber to get this information, uh, although a lot of vendors who are on it often mm-hmm allow you to view it through you know their uh email paywalls whatever it may be um so there's ways to get it uh definitely to go take a look at it uh i think it's a really valuable piece of um of news that you know honestly dives into why it matters yep. to have uh, uh, uh these capabilities specific for kubernetes versus traditional approaches so definitely go take a look and then the other one on a less serious note i mostly included because it's just such a great name uh new 
Newmanetti.com. <laughs> Newmanetti's, I, I really can't vouch for it at all, but it is just a curation of, um, of references for microservices, DevOps, CICD, Kubernetes. Uh, and the main page of it has just this <laughs> these, these cars in a container, right? It's just such a great picture and it's a great name. So, you know, if you're a contributor and or a listener to Nubinetti's, love the name. And uh, for our listeners, definitely go check it out. There's a lot of information on there. Also available at, uh, what's the other name? Awesome-Kubernetes.ReadTheDocs.io. Yeah, that's Less awesome. fun to say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and as a lead-in to our topic today on distributed databases and an intro to how you run these on Kubernetes, there we'll put in an article um, from, where is it? Contain oh, IQ. Yes, yeah. Contain IQ, which is, should you run a database on Kubernetes? And I think this is a perfect segue because a lot of you may be asking yourselves the same question. Or as a team, you may be asking yourselves the same question of, should I be running databases on Kubernetes? Uh, and if it's a distributed database, even more so, you can ask yourself the same question. But, you know, what are the options for running databases? And this article goes into, I think, a really good high-level view of kind of the difference between self-managed databases, uh, mostly administered by DBAs, versus managed databases, solutions like um, Amazon RDS or Azure Arc databases, uh, Google Cloud, etc., and then those that are Kubernetes managed. I would call these cloud native. We had that discussion. That's another podcast. <laughs> but um, these are the ones you run directly on databases. And there's some trade-offs um, and there's some benefits. Uh, we're going to talk about them a little bit today, you know, especially when looking at why Kubernetes actually uh, does a lot of great things for databases, especially distributed ones. So definitely go take a look at that article. I think it's a really, um, you know, great view into, you know, some of the the concepts like replication and, and sharding and failover that we'll we'll touch today, but um, you know, always doing your own research and and reading is valuable. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks, then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So let's dive into it then as that segue kicks us off into introduction to distributed databases on Kubernetes. Let's start with why. And I'll ask you that question, Bobin. Why like, would you want to do this? podcast, right? Like, we don't need a why. <laughs> you have to run it on Kubernetes. <laughs> you have to. This is, you're listening to it. You must. <laughs> no, 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 no. But in like, in all seriousness, there are benefits and we'll, we'll cover these topics like point by point. But uh, you, as Ryan said in that article, like there are self-managed database instances that's how organizations and enterprises have been running the uh, databases for a long time. Most of these organizations have a dedicated database admin team, uh, if not a dedicated DBA at least. Uh, then uh, people started moving to the cloud and con started consuming those managed services. Uh, Amazon RDS is one of those examples. And you started uh, pointing your application to those database instances and using those connection strings. Uh, but now, uh, like that has a, a disadvantage. Like obviously you get vendor locked in. 
you are restricted to that one platform. Um, one of the main advantages of moving it to Kubernetes, again, there are many that we'll discuss, but one of those is uh, it makes it portable, right? We know, we all know, and we have learned through different episodes in this uh, podcast series that uh, Kubernetes, you can run it on any cloud, you can run it on-prem, uh, you can run it in a hybrid cloud topology, and you can deploy the same database in an identical fashion across all of these different Kubernetes distributions. So portability is kind of like the first thing that comes to my mind when when we're talking about da- distributed databases on Kubernetes. Yeah, that's a great point. And I would say insofar as much that you know, these traditional databases that were run in huge data centers, uh, you know, as as these monolithic, huge uh, databases, I think Kubernetes allows you to scale in a different way. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's definitely a reason why you would come to Kubernetes is for various reasons, like you mentioned, but uh, applications, whether they're databases or not, get the benefit of automation and scale. So being able to run a single SQL database um, is great, and there's a lot of benefits to that, and you can grow over time. But as your business scales, uh, Kubernetes can help you scale with it, especially horizontally. And that mm-hmm. sort of leads us to um, you know, the, the question of what databases are we going to be talking about today? Um, you know, specifically, this one is about distributed databases. So we're mm-hmm. going to sort of talk about what is a distributed database. Um, I think yeah. at the most at the most basic level, right? It's um, a database that communicates as a cluster and provides things like replication, uh, fault tolerance, sharding of data across them. Uh, what would you add to that? Yeah. So, like for me, uh, it, it goes like for a distributed database. I think. I have like four things. Uh, one is like uh, resiliency or or other way to look at it is disposability. So uh, your database solution, whatever you choose, should be able to handle disruptions, especially when you're running it on public clouds or on infrastructure that not might not might doesn't have a 100% uh, SLA. Uh, and I think whenever I think about SLAs and and cloud infrastructure, Werner Vogel's quote comes out, like everything fails all the time. So you should, when you're developing an application, (laughs) you're choosing a database, you should select a solution that can handle these disruptions. Even in Kubernetes, pods are model by design, like they can go down. The beauty of Kubernetes is that because you have a desired state, uh, Kubernetes will spin up new pods that will replace your killed or or older pods, but pods are meant to go away. So you should have a database solution, which is distributed in nature and can handle these disruptions. Other thing, uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, to to the point, you know, these disruptions tie directly into cap theorem, right? Mm -hmm. If you're in this field, cap theorem is consistency, availability, and partition tolerance. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll talk about that when we dive into a couple of the examples, but, you know, distributed databases definitely aid in tuning your needs for consistency versus availability and kubernetes does a lot of great things there too yep and then talking about distributed databases right uh how can you know if it's a distributed database uh you have to uh, eliminate all single points of failure so using that shared nothing architecture and making sure that even if any node in your cluster uh, goes down or in your ring goes down, your app, your database is still up and running. You can still access it, get the same data back. So there has to be some sort of consistency. Uh, if you go for strong consistency, that might 
have some challenges associated with it. Uh, but with modern distributed databases, you have what's called as a consensus consistency. So like before returning any writes, uh, if a majority of nodes should agree that that's the right uh, data that's being written. Uh, so that's another thing that you should keep in mind. It should be shared nothing, eliminating any single points of failure. Yep, those are all great points. And I think with that, let's give a few examples. So um, as a whole, we have a list here. Mm -hmm. uh, some examples include Apache Cassandra, mm -hmm. uh, Elasticsearch, Kafka, uh, Mongo, which can be uh, deployed as a single or multiple uh, nodes. There may be an argument there that it may not be distributed. Uh, CockroachDB. Uh, we'll be kind of diving into a little bit of uh, Cassandra on Kubernetes, Elasticsearch, and I think you're going to you know jump into Cockroach a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, but those are some really good examples, and I would say you know these run really well on Kubernetes, and we're going to talk about why that is. Um, you know, some of, a lot of these were designed prior to Kubernetes ever being um, a thing. Uh, and they still run distributed because they were, you know, they could be deployed on individual nodes or across VMs, but, um, you know, containers make things more agile, easier to scale out faster, those kind of things. Um, so let's get into it. Uh, Cassandra is a distributed architecture like the one that Bhavna was just talking about. It's tailored for uh, sort of multi-data center deployments. It has a lot of redundancy and failover built in. It has some disaster recovery uh, capabilities to uh, sync data across those clusters, and all of these make it a really good fit for Kubernetes. Um, and that's because Kubernetes really provides you a lot of the advantages um, around uh, the automation uh, and scaling and, and, and monitoring of these databases. And so when, when we talk about what Kubernetes does for uh, databases. I think we got to take maybe a step back and we'll use Cassandra as the example first. Mm -hmm. um, but let's define some of the challenges, right? Um, running a database as a single container on Kubernetes, fairly straightforward. Uh, we had an episode we talked about which objects use persistent storage. So a single database is going to use something like a deployment it's going to have a persistent volume, and it's going to be sort of a one-off thing, right? Mm -hmm. That volume can obviously have a lot of um, data services applied to it. You could take snapshots of that volume. It could have its own replication. Um, but when we are discussing distributed databases, there's at least more than one of uh, an individual node in that database because it is sort of that shared architecture um, and can manage its own uh, fault tolerance and, and shard data across portions of, of that. And when you are deploying multiple nodes of something like multiple Cassandra nodes, you may have a three node Cassandra cluster or a five node Cassandra cluster or a 300 <laughs> node Cassandra <laughs> ring, to be honest. Um, it is very important to have certain aspects of that deployment built into uh, the operations, such as the order matters during mm -hmm. bootstrap. So when you uh, install and deploy Cassandra, you need to be able to tell Cassandra nodes, you know, which which is the bootstrap node, how to connect to the other nodes because they're clustering, they're they're talking to each other. So ordering and the identity of these things matter, um, and the identity, you know, brings in sort of, it has to be a unique identity. Um, and doing this with 
the constructs that we discussed in one of the other episodes alone is actually quite hard. You wouldn't want to have, you know, a 15 node Cassandra cluster and have a single deployment for every node and then deploy one after the other by itself and configure each one and have to manage all that configurations. I've seen it done, (laughs) (laughs) but you wouldn't want to do it, right? Um, I, I think. And that's where things like stateful sets and operators come into play. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so- I love operators. Like, I, so let me let me just go down yeah, this rabbit please, hole. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, again, stateful sets and deployments, all of those Kubernetes objects are great. But then once uh, operators were introduced in the Kubernetes ecosystem, that's when things changed in a drastic fashion. All of these databases can have their own individual operators. And if you just do a basic Google search, you will realize that all the different data services that Ryan listed a few minutes back uh, have multiple operators that can be used to deploy databases on Kubernetes. So once uh, deploying an operator isn't difficult, it's just a single one-line command. But having that operator already installed on your Kubernetes cluster allows you to use custom resources and CRDs and custom resource definitions to define and customize how your database should actually be deployed on Kubernetes. So it includes things like the number of nodes that you want, the amount of CPU and memory and storage that you uh, need for that database instance. Based on the operator that you choose, you can specify additional things like, uh, do do you want encryption at rest or in transit? Do you want backup and restore functionality. So all of these operators have their own uh, CRD definitions uh, or custom resource definitions that you should uh, think about, look at, take a look at, and then use those to deploy databases on Kubernetes. So once you have an operator installed, you have a YAML file which has a spec for that database instance, you can apply it against any Kubernetes cluster and it will deploy um, a multi-node Data, a distributed database for you on Kubernetes with certain specific configurations uh, that, it, that that helps you run uh, databases. Yeah, I, operators, you know, has been definitely an evolution to where we currently are. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say most operators will do the, uh, you know, the hard parts of deploying that stateful set or deployments for you, uh, mm-hmm. which is super valuable. If you want more control um, and you want to design something yourself, you may go the route of I want all the control, so therefore I'm going to use you know the APIs and um, create those objects my, yourself. But if you're looking for you know definitely that turnkey solution that does a lot of things for you, but also gives you a bunch of flexibility, you know operators can't go wrong, um, and there's a lot of them out there. Probably a whole nother podcast. <laughs> How many times yep. have we said that, right? To dive into what operators are out there. And that can help you uh, really deploy those databases. Yeah, and um, you bring up a good point, right? Like operate, there are many, but then again, if you want to customize, you can do your own thing. Uh, it's important to like identify those differences. Like for this podcast, I was doing some research around MongoDB and they have two different operators. They have an open source operator for MongoDB. Uh, they call it the community edition. Mm-hmm. And then they have an enterprise operator, uh, which like again comes with its own bells and whistles. So there are feature differences even between operators from the same organizations from the same database vendor so there are there might be some features that are only available again i was listening to a talk that was from 2020 so this might have changed but Mm -hmm. in 2020 they said 
uh, data address encryption was only available if you used your enterprise operator and not the community one. So at that point, you have to decide right whether you want your application to have all of those features, the data services features, or you want a storage solution that can help you get those regardless of the operator that you're using and regardless of the data service that you're using. So that's also another thing to keep in mind. Yes, absolutely. Great point. And actually a really good lead into what I was going to talk about next, which is, you know, we talk about operators and stable set in the objects a lot, but uh, let's kind of rewind and say, why would you want a storage um, platform or solution underneath your databases? And one reason may be, well, I want that thing to do the encryption, just as Bob and just said. But there's also the aspect of the individual database. So going back to Cassandra real quick, Cassandra has its own um, availability, meaning that it does its own replication, right? So you may be saying, well, you know, storage solutions do replication of data as well. So how do these things get along and why would you want to use them together, right? So when you're configuring, you know, Cassandra as an AP system, availability and and um, fault tolerance or uh, um you know, partition. the partition tolerance, yep. thank mm-hmm. you. <laughs> um, you may want the storage subsystem to do more of the um, availability and configure Cassandra more as a consistent and partition tolerance uh, system. And those things could be tunable depending on each individual database. So with Cassandra, you can tune the consistency to say, uh, and you can do this with Kafka as well, mm-hmm. uh, to say, I want my rights to um, have this many number of acknowledgements before we actually consider that uh, right operation done. Um, Obviously, there's trade-offs to having more consistency. You know, it would generally mean slower, uh, slower operations, those kind of things. But the point being is that these application level components and tunings and settings can be married with the underlying storage system to give you the, the actually the most flexibility. Not to mention that uh, things like failover can actually be improved because when you are using no persistent storage, such as you're just using sort of the mem tables and 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 the the node memory to to host the data in, in something like Cassandra, uh, a data node may fail and you have to recover from uh, that failure. And so data is rebuilt over the network. Well, if you're using persistent storage, that volume contains the data and it may have another copy. You might have replication configured for that volume and therefore it can just reattach and go on its merry way. And therefore your recovery of that particular node um, can be improved by, you know, a lot of percents. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it all it depends on how much data you have in there, but you don't have to recover over the network. So you have a, a cluster that goes from unhealthy to healthy much quicker rather than unhealthy to rebuilding and staying that way for a little while. And and obviously, depending how large your clusters are, how many you know brokers in Kafka or mm-hmm. nodes in Cassandra are you know happy to serve um, operations, uh, that recovery may be really important. Um, so. It's a, it's a long way of saying that these two worlds of having storage solutions and distributed databases that can run with or without them, you probably want to figure out what works best for your business. Mm-hmm. Meaning that, uh, do we want a lot of consistency and a lot of availability and we're okay with what performance that gives us? Or do we want something that's super fast and good enough in terms of availability and consistency? So. 
yeah and you said right like we'll be able to recover faster and recover quickly that's definitely that's something uh, it, it's definitely important uh, but the second thing like if you are running cassandra uh, a cassandra cluster in a multi cloud uh, in a public cloud and then you are using and or leveraging multiple regions in that cloud to run individual cassandra nodes and if one of your nodes goes down all of that uh, traffic that's being transferred between nodes is going through the inter region pipe mm-hmm. and you are paying for data ingress and egress so again to recover obviously time is important but then you would what you don't want to be in a situation where you're paying a lot of money just so that you can rebuild your clusters so having a, a, a solution where you can have multiple replicas hosted in the same availability zone not even the same region can help you uh, come back online quickly and che- uh, in a cheap fashion <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I know I was part of a sort of a solution that looked at Kafka specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and we looked at, you know, what configuration, sort of a matrix between, let's say, Kafka has three replicas and and a storage solution has three replicas. And let's see what that gives us. And then let's play with those numbers. And we found that, you know, Kafka having two and a storage solution having two replicas actually gave us a really great starting point for um, uh, broker recovery and rebalancing um, in terms of we get like you know this you know seconds of recovery in those in those scenarios but also gave us uh, the Kafka availability meaning brokers uh, because they had more than one replica as well weren't unavailable to serve you know other uh, operations uh, when one was down so in the case that you'd have one replica so um, it's, you know, the trade-off I think is you're taking up more storage space because of, you know, the 2x2. But mm-hmm. um, to the point is that, you know, these are reasons to consider these things uh, using persistent storage in Kubernetes. And, and then a reason why you definitely want to look at that, right? The, the things we even haven't talked about yet is the additional benefits, not just, you know, intra-cluster and, mm-hmm. and within that database, but you get things like snapshots um, and snapshots are great. Uh, but at the same time, if you're running a distributed database, you have to have a consistency group, right? If you're taking a snapshot of your entire database, you need to snapshot that thing at the same time. So you have sort of a, a view of your entire distributed database or, um, you know, partition in a, in a very specific moment in time. So group snapshots is something, you know, very hard to do without sort of a subsystem of, of a data management to do that for you. And, um, you know, we didn't even get into uh, backup, restore and disaster recovery yet because I want I want you to cover um some other examples. I know I've talked about Cassandra and Kafka a lot, but why don't you take us into either Mongo or Cockroach a little bit? Yeah, sure. Uh, so before before we move on uh, to your point, right, taking that group snapshots, uh, going back to operators, different operators have different solutions. Mm-hmm. So if you if you are using a combination of all of these different data services, so you are deploying Cassandra, Mongo, CockroachDB in your on your Kubernetes clusters, individual operators may or may not have a backup and recovery or snapshot capabilities built into it. So that's also another thing to keep in mind that when you're evaluating solutions, choose something that can be unified and uh, it's just one solution. You ne- if you're learning this for the first time, it's easier to learn like because it's one solution compared to 10. Uh, so yeah. that's another thing to keep in mind. Like, okay, you need th- these application consistent snapshots for your distributed database, but how do you do it in the most easy way possible? For, uh, okay, next, like for... 
cockroach db right uh, one of the I, i think we already spoke about disposability and shared nothing since cockroach db is a distributed uh-huh. uh, sql database another thing that i wanted to highlight and we haven't covered it yet is around horizontal scaling like uh-huh. uh that's one of the main advantages of using distributed applications because in this case you're not uh scaling up so you're not increasing the size of your nodes you're not paying for more resources you're just scaling out and if you are co-locating or running these different database instances on the same kubernetes cluster you can uh have them namespaced so each namespace has basically uh, a, a different database instance running and if you want to scale uh out you can just increase that in your crd definition or you can manually use cube cartel or cube cdl to scale out your uh, your distributed database and leverage that horizontal scaling a uh, benefit of doing it on kubernetes is uh, it automatically as soon as you make that change uh, kubernetes will start deploying additional pods uh, for your deployment or stateful set uh, uh, object and Uh, if you have dynamic provisioning from a storage perspective uh, that solution will start deploying those persistent volumes to back your new pods that have shown up so it's easier to uh, uh, scale horizontally when you are running these databases on kubernetes and you can manage the, those uh, using the same set of tools that you manage for like for your other database instances uh, from oh, sorry go ahead I was just going to agree with you that you know the Kubernetes APIs and sort of um, platform gives so much automation uh, benefit to running these types of databases. I mean, it's not like we're saying these uh, databases can't be ran uh, in VMs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a lot of a lot more touch points uh, yeah. as a database administrator or a DevOps uh, team, uh, and and with Kubernetes and some of the automation, especially some of the autopilot features in Uh, and some of these platforms you get a lot of this done um in a very cloud native and automated way mm-hmm. waiting on a tax return hopefully it ends up in your hands fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023 if you're in a bind this tax season lifelock can help our us based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. That's true. And then same goes for MongoDB. Again, it's a document DB database, but still it, it, it has that distributed architecture. Uh, and it, it uses the same uh, horizontal scaling capabilities. You can add more uh, worker nodes. You can add more shards. Uh, it also allows you to like define how like sharding should be done and optimize those patterns um, to suit suit your application uh, that's using mongodb as the backend database yeah so i mean we've already spent a ton of time talking about these four databases and i feel like we've just touched the surface so um i think some of the main points that we definitely want to get across is that you know distributed databases are um really going to be a, a beneficial when run on kubernetes because of things like automation um uh the integration with uh CSI and data service mm-hmm. providers which give you things like snapshots and backup restore and disaster recovery but also the capabilities to use stateful sets and operators 
uh, operators being able to automate a lot of these things for you, even do things like uh, manage your persistent volumes, uh, manage your backups if you so choose, um, and much more. But also the core aspects of Kubernetes giving you the, uh, you know, the, the API objects to give you the ordering uh, unique identity, uh, persistent storage, the consistency factors, um, and also to really stop and think about what the needs are of the data that's you know within these applications. So whether you're using Elasticsearch or Cassandra or Kafka or Mongo or CockroachDB for your applications, definitely stop to look at how that individual database handles you know availability and consistency. And then also if you're using a storage provider, look at what it can provide you for replication and um, availability as well, because these things play really well together. And when you combine them, you can have a really nice solution. Yeah, and uh, uh, just to wrap up, right? Uh, as as we were getting ready for this uh, podcast episode, I was going and looking at these vendors' websites and all the recent webinars that they're doing. If you look at those trends, they are moving from a traditional VM-based deployment to uh, building their own operators and providing these services on Kubernetes because there is a shift happening on how, uh, because of the way Kubernetes is built and Kubernetes is, uh, the features that it provides, these databases do get an inherent benefit of running it on top of your Kubernetes cluster. So you will see that migration eventually uh, both from both sides, like database vendors talking about it, and then more of the Kubernetes platform uh, players also talking about how you can bring more data databases or da distributed databases or data services on top of Kubernetes. So I think that's going to be like the year of 2022, I think. I'm pretty excited. I want to ramp up more on these individual data services and learn more about them. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 2022, the year of operators for databases, <laughs> database yeah, I, as a service, all the staple things on Kubernetes. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't want to call it because like for, <laughs> for so long, uh, we, we have been waiting for the year of VDI and I think COVID was the year of VDI, but then uh, I didn't want to like start, okay, 2022, year of distributed databases on Kubernetes. <laughs> I like it, I like it. Um, well, you know, I feel like we've barely done the topic justice, but hopefully um, you've got something out of that on maybe why you would want to run a distributed database on Kubernetes, uh, what Kubernetes can do for distributed databases, and when combined with, you know, persistent storage and and things like that, what, what you get out of it. Uh, we'll put a bunch of the show notes and links that we mentioned um, in the podcast episode. And remember... Um, this is season two, episode two. We will be um, talking about VMware again in the next episode. Uh, this time, we'll be focusing on uh, storage interest groups, uh, how to contribute, what the current landscape looks like contributing um, as it pertains to uh, Tanzu and, and VMware. Really excited about that one. We'll have a, a guest on the show as well. 
as always, we encourage you to send us a message on Anchor or wherever you can review podcasts. Um, and this will bring us to the end of today's episode. I'm Ryan. I'm Bobby. And thanks for joining another episode of Kubernetes Bites. Thank you for listening to the Kubernetes Bites podcast. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.